Well, hello everybody and welcome to Fire and Forte. I'm Hannah and I am thrilled to be introducing Lisa Caffrey today from rural Queensland. Hello, Hannah. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Now, I, I was hoping for some visual proof that you were dialing in from rural Queensland and I hear that we were close to getting that. We were so close. I'd set up my laptop and I had the beautiful backdrop and, and the gum trees and the chooks were clucking away and just the the digital connectivity it started lagging I did a test and and I had my 11 year old in my office and he goes oh mum this is terrible and <laughs> the backdrop was beautiful but unfortunately the technology left me down so I've had to come back into my boring office at my standing desk that I spend a lot of time at and and dial in from there. Well, that sounds like something needs to be done. I've often heard about the connectivity in some rural areas. So it seems like the evidence is, you know, maybe when 5G is really fully rolled out or NBN, we'll get, we'll have you outside for volume two. Yes. Or st I'm, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Starlink as well. So that's uh next generation. That's Elon Musk's internet, satellite internet. So a lot of people are, are trying that out in the bush at the minute as well. Amazing. So that's happening at the moment in the Australian bush. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, amazing. I mean, technology and all things STEM is definitely something that I want to talk about because I've seen some of the projects that you've been involved in. So that's one big, that's one brilliant segue. But I want to, you know, introduce you to the audience. I'm really thrilled to be meeting Lisa to you. Lisa, along with the organisations that she works with, is making a big difference to people, community and environment. And this is in a number of ways in her day-to-day day-to-day jobs, of which she's got a portfolio career, I would suggest. As the board chair of Sunwater Limited and the deputy chair of the Central Queensland Hospital and Health Services, these roles clearly have a direct impact to the local community and a really important one. And let us just point out that you're right. We've got a female chair talking to us today. And just before we started the call, I said, Lisa, do I talk about you being a chairman? That word seems incorrect. What do, what do we say now? And Lisa informed me that she's eradicated the word chairman from both of those organizations. Is that right? Or you're still on the case? No, no, it, it, they pop up every now and again. But I started about 14 months ago, 15 months ago, as the I was appointed as the chair. But throughout Sunwater, they were still using the term chairman. And I just, I thought, why do we need to make that position like have a gender identity it, it's irrelevant so we have definitely got rid of that word it's fantastic evidence of leadership already there and hopefully that is something that we can see more of happening I've just read an article that across the Australian Stock Exchange only 10% of those businesses have got female chairs now you're involved in some fantastic and really innovative work in the environment and social sector Lisa has founded her own advisory consultancy business now, they advise businesses, not-for-profits, and government on their ESG policies. So we'll have to probably talk a little bit more about ESG because now businesses are so, and not-for-profits, etc. it's such a key central part that what's all of these businesses and organizations doing to make the world better? 
But finally, just to, as if that's not enough, Lisa did complete her PhD in 2021 with a real focus on health equity in rural areas. Now, I think that is an area that is something that must be a real passion for you and something that then you can probably actually contribute to with your board role as well. So it's so interesting to learn more about your journey and see how much there clearly is a conviction and passion that you're actually able to apply in your career as well. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And I'm going to ask by, I'm going to start by saying, what, what's it like being the chair of a board and what does that involve? I worked for Central Queensland University back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I had to go and present to the council. And I went into this boardroom and there were about 15 people. And there was this older gentleman at the end and and I can remember thinking, wow, how do you get into this room? And it was where all the decisions were made. And from that point on, I, I, can, I sort of thought, well, that's, that's the pointy end of business. And that's where I love strategy and I love governance. So I sort of unknowingly started to, to seek out opportunities. And, and it really started in the volunteer space. But that's sort of a, a long way around. But now sort of seven years on, I was appointed as a board chair of a government-owned corporation. It's called Sunwater. It is the largest bulk water provider across Queensland. And I think we have 19 dams and 64 weirs and provide about 40% of industrial and bulk water to farmers and irrigators and industry across regional Queensland. And it was my first board appointment of a large entity. So it was pretty daunting, I have to say. But... I see leadership as a team sport, so I'm just the first among equals. And fortunately for me, I entered into a, a boardroom with some fantastic other people. And my role is really about forming the team and getting the most out of the team. So I suppose one of my lessons in that role is you don't have to be the smartest person in the room or feel like you're the, the smartest person in the room. It's actually about having really clever people around you and getting the best out of them. It's tough. It's very demanding. You've certainly got to be on the ball, but I think I'm the youngest female board chair of a government-owned corporation in Queensland and probably potentially the most remote as well. I don't, I don't know of any other female board chair in their 40s who lives in a, a rural and remote community. It's an honour. Absolutely. And I suppose that really reflects in your network. Who do you have that's around you? Is there any kind of group of similar female board members? Because they're obviously not near you, but is there a group that regularly can meet and support each other in, in a different place or over Zoom? That's probably been one of my challenges is that, you know, you have this ambition, I'm in the country, but all the actions in the city. So COVID was, I mean, terrible from a health point of view and, and, and for people, but for me, connectivity wise, people realized, oh, we can connect on Zoom, on Teams. It just opened my world up and I've always been able to connect with people, but now my network, I've got a fabulous group of amazing women that I've been able to connect with in Adelaide, 
in Melbourne, in Sydney and in Brisbane and they're only a phone call away or a Zoom or Teams away. And, and I do try to get down and attend conferences. I'm sort of lining one up with another girlfriend in March and hopefully we can both go to that in, in Victoria. So it's the strength of, of having those highly capable women really helps because sometimes you do need to phone a friend and just say hey I'm thinking about this what have you ever had that problem have you ever experienced this situation and they're just they're like your your trusted network of girlfriends and and colleagues that really help you work through different situations because I guess that's problem solving as well isn't it regardless of gender it's also to have some peers or to also have someone outside of the current organization that you're working in to bounce something off and it's not gendered I should say my mentor is a wonderful gentleman who has been incredibly generous with his time and and knowledge and and helping me through different stages so yeah it's not just not just females I'll put it out there there's some really great fellas that have helped me along the way too and the journey to getting to where you you are at that board level I'm wondering if it's not just that women are at the level just below that so maybe exec you know on the exec board but is it that women start dropping off like what was your experience of that pathway to that role well I have the most unconventional role because I haven't had that opportunity to be an executive in a corporate office like yourself and and like a lot of my peers because I live about a thousand kilometers away from the capital city I was thinking i I I have an interest, but how do I get there when it's really that that there was no path? So probably starting my own advisory firm about 13 years ago, I did that because I had a really unique situation. I was living in, at the time, a, a remote mining community. And for people overseas, it's something you just wouldn't really understand. It's just this self-contained community that everyone that works in the resource company lives there and and it's very isolated. My husband would work 14 hours a day. I had young children as well. And I thought, how can I have a career, but be in so isolated? And so, yeah, I just created a career path for myself. And, and that's where my CAFRI group came from. So just using my networks and picking up some fantastic clients all over Queensland and with major major corporations as well so even though I wasn't in the sand pit I was sort of around the outside and that's the the path I guess I made and as I said very unconventional so you have your KPIs and the CEO has their KPIs I mean that's probably in the language that I use in my career is it similar to that that they need to be held to their the businesses promises that have been made to the customers and to the board Exactly. And well, the the role of the board is to set the tone and the culture and the strategy. And once we've done that, that's our obligations. We then give it to the CEO and it's his job to execute and make sure that the strategy the board set is actually implemented. So it's pretty clear guardrails then. And and that's how I like to operate is the targets are there. But as a chair as well, we're there to work as a team as well. In the case of Sunwater, I see water as the most valuable natural resource of our state. You can't do anything without water. 
and it's just so precious. So I'm acting on behalf of every Queenslander to make sure that they're getting the maximum value for the most precious resource. And if you feel as though you've set the guidance, but actually you're so passionate and also it's your responsibility, the deliverables, how do you feel or how do you control the not able to actually get your hands on it yourself? Because the doing isn't isn't sitting in that company, isn't for you. How do you stop yourself doing that or what approaches do you take? Yeah, I think that can be a, a real challenge for some board members and for, for new people. Maybe when I started out, my board chair in health would say, you know, get out from the muck and weeds. You need to get up and sort of be looking above the forest. So it is very tempting to try and get in and fix it, but that's not that's not what a board chair is, is paid to do. That's why the CEO is getting paid the big bucks and the board chair is there from a governance strategy and risk we can only control what is within our remit that's a great insight to be honest I think so many teams could benefit from that from that motto couldn't they because sometimes it's you're merging onto getting involved in something else that's out of your control or out of scope now I'm fascinated in the career path that you forged and I'm going to point out two things one is that it was all based on your own drive you created your own business created the demand and created the awareness of your business all with what I imagined I like the vision of an eight-month-old strapped to you on a baby carrier to be honest but then also this part about being able to because actually it was extremely strategic in a sense as well to understand CEOs board directors before you were to go into a board role whether that was with any foresight at all so uh, first of all the the initial career drive At any point, did you think, I don't have to be doing this? It doesn't have to be this big. Maybe I could just scale this back. Well, I don't think it's big yet. I don't even feel like I'm halfway up the hill at the minute. So taking my foot off the pedal right now hasn't even entered my mind. I feel like I still have my training wheels on and a government-owned corporation is the best place to have your first stint as a as a board chair because we are we do have to adhere to the corporations act but we we are then also we come under the government own corporation act as well so we have that backing of the government behind us so my ambition is is to really accelerate my career rather than slow down so the next phase will definitely be looking at those ASX listed companies and and asking the question of why is there only 10% of board chairs you know I'm more than capable of of running a corporation with a an annual budget of you know circa 500 million and and I think our assets are about 14 billion I think there's such a, an amazing similarity between the initiative and the courage that it took to build your own firm your own business create this network to what you just talked about which is the the impression that you and the change that you want to see across ASX businesses would you recognize that conviction that initiative and that kind of sense of confidence as being skills that you've got Yeah, probably now that you say it, I I probably do come across with purpose and conviction and confidence, which is funny because inside everyone has that little voice that goes, oh, can you do that? But I don't know, maybe just from an early age, as I said, I was the always the shortest kid you know I'm five foot one and I never got told I couldn't do anything so I just always have a crack and what's the worst thing that can happen you fail I'd rather fail forward and fail fast than never you know than die wondering I was always sort of a free spirited independent feisty sort of happy country kid and and maybe the first 10 years of my life was spent 
pretty much free range. It just didn't ever occur to me that I couldn't do what I wanted. And, and maybe that followed through once I had kids. And at that time, I think you said your son was eight months old when you started going and, and beginning your consultancy business. Was that, was that the end goal? And how did you, what was the vision at the time? The vision was freedom. So the vision was being able to work when I wanted to work on what I wanted to work and not necessarily have to fit into other people's schedules. And so that that's all I wanted. And I wanted to be mentally stimulated because when you live in a rural area, I had a couple of friends that might have had children at the same time. I think at the time I was finishing off my master's in public relations. So that was keeping me, you know, academically sort of stimulated and interested. But once that was done, it was more about creating the work and creating the lifestyle that I actually wanted to live because I didn't want to be locked into eight to five job, five days a week. It wasn't practical, especially with my living remotely. So yeah, that would that was my motivation. It's understanding your lane and what you're really good at and what you can deliver. And I think when you're having those initial conversations with people, if if you feel like it is outside your area of expertise, it's always better to walk away than dig yourself into a hole. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose as a business founder, when there's potentially a minimum or an amount of capital or income that you want to get in in a certain month or year, that must be a harder decision. So is that something that to new founders is, is maybe a, a word of warning or that that tempt is to be careful around that temptation? I was having this discussion with a very good friend of mine who's also founded a, a rural consulting firm. And she said one of the best tips she ever got was find two or three foundation clients that you love working with and, and that you know that they pay their bills and that you're on a retainer with them. So you've got guaranteed work, guaranteed money, and you know that whatever else happens, you can pay your bills and you can live off that amount. So work out what is that amount and then find those core clients that, that you're bread and butter. Then you can be a bit more choosy with some of the other projects. And at the minute right now, I'm just waiting to hear about a, a fantastic new project for next year that I, I have put in a quote for, which for me, I'm excited about it and I am i can't wait. And it's rolling out digital service centres across regional Queensland. Yes. Uh, the word digital is absolutely a buzzword, I think, for me, probably with yourself as well, yeah. in business and organisations that you work with. Now, it looks like you're seeing a lot of innovation through digital, through innovation technology. I wondered if you could maybe share some of the interesting or the most interest interesting projects that you've potentially worked on in the past year or so or what are you most excited about coming up well my number one passion and this is a love job this is a pro bono role that I have in the communities is the Outback Exploratorium and it is all about STEM so science, technology, engineering and maths. And it's been going for about 27 years and in, in my little hometown of, of Emerald. But what it does is delivers informal after school and out of school uh, STEM programs for country kids. And the innovative work that I see in there is, is these kids, they can't just walk down the road and go to the Questacon or go to the National Science Museum or anything like that. So innovation doesn't necessarily always have to be technological the innovation is in the thinking and and delivery of how you how you deliver these sort of things so being in the you know in the outback and 
having limited resources and the internet's not always great, just that innovation, well, how can we deliver robotics to a bunch of, you know, 12-year-olds or 10-year-olds in the bush? How do we teach them about coding or what, are, what about AI? And so it's finding solutions to probably a little bit tricky. So finding those resources, but more so finding the partners. So Questacon in Canberra have been amazing. And they sent up some different museum displays that were actually in plastic boxes, big plastic boxes, and that we could put the lid on and throw in the back of a ute and then carry them out to remote places. So it's making sure we've got the the right partners with that. And also we've got a new home and it's not necessarily the, the technology or the digital side of things, but having a permanent home for an organisation like that, that's probably been one of my exciting highlights for the year. And then from a digital perspective, cybersecurity. So being the chair of, of some large organisations, that is that is something that we've had to, from a digital perspective, is really enhance our capabilities. I'd say the most interesting thing this year was doing a review on First Nations Digital Service Centre in Sherberg. And Sherberg is a First Nations community in the South Burnett. And what they've done is partner with a corporate, a major corporate company, Fujitsu. And they've actually set up a digital service centre where they have got First Nation people being able to be trained on country. And then they do, I think it was like a 13-week boot camp and where they're actually learning digital skills. Then they're guaranteed a job in that service centre on country and they're proper, meaningful, paid work with a major corporate. And I think Fujitsu is involved. I think Australia Post might be, may also be involved. And so my vision and my hope is that early next year, I'll be able to have a look and, and document and map that model and, and then see how could we also look at other First Nation communities across Queensland and create real jobs. That is amazing. I mean, you've just covered three really big topics there. Let's start with STEM education. <laughs> Number yes. two, cybersecurity, and number three, education, First Nations, but also into employment. And I think on that last point, I'd not heard of that model. I wondered from a terminology point of view, does that mean within the First Nations, like yes. not having to move to a metropolitan area? Yeah, that's so there's in, in Queensland, there's 17 distinct Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So, so for example, near me, there's a community called Warabinda or up off the coast of Townsville is Palm Island. And that they that is a designated First Nation community. And often what we're finding is there's poor connectivity, not necessarily have NBN. A lot of people don't necessarily also have the technology available and they definitely haven't had the skills and training in some of these basic digital skills that you need just for entry-level jobs. When I say on country, I, I mean in their Aboriginal community. I recently read that Australia had fallen behind in digital readiness mm -hmm. versus other countries in the world. And I think that came out in November. And you think, well, why are we falling behind? And you look at these programs like this could really help to bring us more forward, couldn't they? By educating people at school levels in different communities, it's problem solving, to be honest, as well as equipping people with a really great purpose and great career. 
And for you as a consultant, I'm wondering if there's some similarities to being on the board, that you can advise that business to do this thing. And it's and sometimes there's a regulation saying you can or you can't do this thing. Do you often have to give a recommendation and then leave and just hope that that corporate or organisation implements it? That's the difference is as a consultant, then going in and having a look at the at the big picture and you've got a fresh set of eyes and that's why big companies bring in consultants and also for that expertise because you're looking across lots of different businesses and lots of different sectors and you can bring that wealth of knowledge and experience in and then make recommendations but that's where the job stops and I think that's why I like the board governance roles is it's it's a long game and we're taking those reports and then we're looking at the recommendations and we're weighing up risk and making business decisions based on, on our risk appetite and then seeing it through and, and implementing. And as a consultant, yeah, you don't get to necessarily see the fruits of, of your labour or the recommendations. Down the track, maybe if you get invited back in, you get to see what actually came of it. But as a chair, that's front and centre is, is actually making sure that we're following the rules, that we're meeting our obligations and that we're operating within the governance framework. Interesting. I can imagine seeing so many great opportunities that businesses, especially with their scale, can make a difference of. You must be so hopeful that they'll implement some of the things that you propose. And yeah. I was looking at your career and your education and wondered specifically around, you studied journalism at university. It's so interesting at this point when we kind of stop, look back on our careers and think, wow, look what's happened because you've gone from journalism yes. to, which is super interesting, PR, governance. But earlier in the conversation, you stated the value of assets of the infrastructure at uh, Limited, which was, I mean, you'll have to remind me of the numbers. But first of all, wow. And second of all, what's been that journey? What have been the lessons and what have been the moments of, well, what have been the skills that you've gained across that that journey mm. that have got to where you are today? Well, unfortunately, wasn't one of those people that grew up thinking, oh, I want to be a nurse or I want to be a doctor and or I want to be a pharmacist. I just wanted to have fun. So I didn't have that burning desire for that career. I liked writing, so I wasn't really sure what I'd do. So I went and studied journalism and I was okay at it. I probably got better and better with age. I learned pretty quickly probably journalism wasn't for me. And a pivotal experience, I don't know whether any of you listeners or viewers would remember this, but when I was at high school, we had a thing here in Brisbane, or when I was living in Brisbane at the time, called Expo, Expo 88. And every four years, there was a, a world expo. And somehow I jagged a week's work experience in the PR team at Expo 88. And it was the best fun. I'm not a, a person that would stand in front of the the camera and I like doing that behind the scenes sort of work and that probably is a common thread because being a chair you're not really out front you're leading you drop you're steering the ship but the the jumps from journalism public relations and then that communications and it was all about engagement and people and I think if I had to say how I ended up where I am it's just that skill with people just get to the heart of, of what each person brings and what, you know, what their values are and how we could work together. Meeting people seems to be a forte, shall we say. But for you to go out and meet all of these CEOs and make your own stakeholder 
connections when you're building your own company that was obviously a skill that you had that you got to probably nurture throughout the years that then helped you build your business I'm I'm thinking but data is so prevalent now in all careers as is tech so I was thinking how did you manage to adopt more and more data into your career and and your skills data is everywhere and actually especially in health because you think about every time you go to the doctor or the hospital they're just taking all this information and we collect so much data but we don't actually analyze a lot of it and I think that's that's going to become more and more of a an issue maybe AI will will help solve a lot of that as far as my relationship with data I think decision making we really need to make sure that it's evidence-based and that's where my main I guess relationship with with data is now is in the boardroom and asking those questions making sure that that we're actually getting the right data actually there's a great book by Adam Grant uh, it's called Think Again it's about being flexible in your thinking and being open-minded and curious and questioning what you don't know. When we're looking at data, we have to make sure that we have people that are skilled in doing that in organisations. And as far as the data and what it's trying to tell you, you have to, everyone can interpret things differently. So one thing I try to do is listen to other people's ideas and and actually surround myself with people that challenge my thinking and my thought process. So I often say, give me the evidence and that's where data comes into it. From a contracting or consulting point of view, social scientists, that's just what we deal with. Australian Bureau of Statistics and, and other data sources, you've got to, you've got to show the rationale of why then you're making the recommendations that you're making so one thing that I've noticed is your humility I think from the very beginning of this call given that you've got such a business of your own and a great role with the many boards that you work with and obviously this is fire and forte and I think that there's such promise in women are at our stage in career in life doing things in their careers where they're often at that point where perhaps you don't feel like you have to prove anything You've you've certainly got this manner about you, which is, I want to be curious, I want to listen, I don't think I've got all the answers, which for some reason is harder for us to admit when we're younger, whereas when we've got a few decades of experience, maybe we're a bit more secure in ourselves to admit. Would you agree with any of that? Absolutely. Wisdom you feel like you have in your 40s. If only I had have had that in my 20s. I look back now and I think, oh man, I was probably so arrogant and a know-all and probably a bit offensive. And so, yeah, I definitely have toned down over the years and and realise it's humility definitely is a gift and I I seek out people like that. So that's not a, that's probably not an attribute that I find endearing is is people that need to always self-promote and and really your experience should speak for itself if people have that need to to boast or or to try and one up you I I just let it go now It, it doesn't even it just sails over it doesn't even register with me I'm not competing I'm not competing with anyone and that's something that bothers me with women I've heard of horizontal racism but also sort of that horizontal competition with women and I just think there's enough jobs for everybody and Mm -hmm. we're not competing with women we need to lift women up I definitely try to do that. I don't like that environment where it's cutthroat or you treat bad people badly or you climb over the top of someone. If you have to do that, you, 
you really shouldn't be in the role. I really hope in 2023 we see even more positive female leaders and female working relationships. Again, I was talking to a friend earlier and she said, my best working relationships are with guys, you know, yeah. so this isn't just about, you know, women and women, women, women. It's like, it's actually a successful relationship is how we all work together and that there's really great diversity with everyone that you work across and I think more and more positive stories about good working environments with a nice mm. mix of people from all different backgrounds and that helps create that diversity of thought as well as the output oh I'd rather any day work with a good human being who's nice and yeah. and, and pleasant and then a go-getter star that will just shoot everyone else to get to the top. It just, it's not pleasant. And I think we've got to value everyone. Everyone has something to bring to the table. And it's about, well, I see my job as a board chair is to let's find that. Let's find where you add value. And the more that we reverse our thinking rather than we're competing or it's a race to the top, I think it'll be a much more pleasant work environment for everyone when we really live those values of working together. Excellent. Great words to almost end on, but I'm not going to let you go just yet. I'm wondering if you could possibly share any advice that you might have to anyone listening, which is, you know, the majority will be women in their 40s who are looking to find that passion or certainly use their strengths to actually go and make a difference in the world. Is there any advice mm. that you would give if they're not doing it just yet and need a little bit yeah. of a push? There's probably a couple of things. First one was, and I, I'm not sure whether all of your listeners, if they're from overseas, they might not who, know who this is. But when I lived in Rocky about 20 years ago, I had the privilege of having very informal breakfast with the then Queensland governor, Dame Quinton Bryce. And she actually went on to become the governor general of Australia. And I remember asking her, how did a country girl from Infracombe, and Infracombe is like even further west than me, how did you end up becoming the governor? And, and she said to me, Lisa, you can have it all, but you just can't have it all at the same time. And that sort of always has stuck with me because as women, you sort of feel like, oh, you want a career, you want to have a fantastic social life, you want to look amazing, you know, you might want to get married, you might want to have a family. And I, I just think you have to realize that you can do it all just not all at the same time and and when I really came to peace with that I realized that I'll have kids but just not in my 30s because I want to have fun and then when I had kids and I was having family well I can't have the corporate career okay now in my 40s and I'm almost at the end of that decade this decade has been all about for me and you know I've done my PhD and continuing doing fabulous projects and started that portfolio career I couldn't have done it in my 30s because my priority was was the family at that point. So that would be my first tip. The other thing is, I think people are 99.5% more interested than, in themselves than you. And you just have to remind yourself of that, that stop worrying about what other people think, because it's actually none of your business. I have my really close girlfriends who, what they think about me and their advice, that matters to me, but what everyone else thinks is meaningless. And I think you can get really caught up in that inner voice worrying about, oh, they said this or they think that or it's none of my business. So that would be my second little bit of golden advice. And the final one, think if you if struggling to find your purpose, how I found my purpose was through volunteering. And people say it's really selfless, but it's selfish because it's the best kind of being selfish because you get so much out of it. And 
you learn, you know, you feel great, you get to contribute, you get to be part of something bigger than yourself, you meet new people, you can feel like you're, you're making a difference. I actually learned all my board and governance skills by volunteering. So even though in my 30s, you know, I said you can't have it all, I was focusing on on family and, and my business, but I was volunteering because in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, I really like this governance and leadership. And and that's where I, I cut my teeth it was in the not-for-profit sector. So go and volunteer. And I think people spend way too much time on social media and getting in, going down dark holes and looking at what everyone else is doing. Stop it. Get your head up out of, you know, the device and actually go and do something. And you you be the person do, doing rather than watching other people do. And the, probably the final thing was never stop learning. And education has just been pivotal in my life. I wouldn't say I'm the smartest person in the room. I think I've said that several times, but I've been blessed by having fantastic educational opportunities. And, and not all of them are formal either. Even reading books, listening to podcasts, enrolling yourself in a micro-credential. Like Google now have these amazing courses that you can do online and, and you can do it at your own pace. You know, they've got fantastic resources. And I think Microsoft have also set up some different certificates. So people that say, oh, I don't want to go to uni. Well, you don't have to go to university, but you can keep learning and you can keep upgrading your skills. So that's that's four things. They're all amazing and they're very straightforward to some extent to apply. They are things if you stop thinking what other people think about you, if you realise you can't have it all, you know, take some of that pressure off. If you mm. get learning and volunteering, I mean, I really do hope that that's the top of some people's New Year's resolutions this year if they don't already, because like you say, great way to contribute, great way just to feel good. By the sounds of it, you might also move forward in your career subtly as well if you if you choose the right kind of opportunity. So I, they're really wonderful pieces of advice. Thank you so much for your time. It's been just a whirlwind of information. I mean, you say you're not the smartest in the room. You're probably one of the smartest people that I've ever met. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Absolutely incredibly interesting. So all the very best with everything that you're working on this year. And I wish you all the best and good luck with this podcast and your ambitions for 2023. I can't wait to watch your trajectory and and see what you achieve next year for yourself as well. Thank you so much. High five to everyone on fire at 40. Thank you. Thank you.